0: Welcome to episode 28 of the Camerosity Podcast, the world's fastest growing film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and we are back. Having narrowly escaped certain death at the hands of multiple tropical cyclones, cannibalistic native tribes, and starvation-related hallucinations, the guys and I have been saved, although we seem to have lost Gilligan. Here with us tonight, from the safety of his home in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where the weather is worse than back on the island, the man with a complete home gas generator, Mr. Paul Reibel. Have the storms died down there yet?
1: Yeah, I don't know if you uh, if you hear a lot of rumbling here in the background. It was It's either my dinner or the, the thunderstorm coming through. From tropical
0: Florida, a place where right now it's hotter in Ohio than where he is, Mr. Anthony Rue. Do you have
2: any tips for Paul on emergency preparedness during severe weather? I don't. The wine dark seas tossed my butt all the way back to Florida where we immediately had lightning that knocked out my scanner and my computer and my monitor and my well. So I'm about ready to camp back out on the island. And finally,
0: from Sydney, Australia, the only one of us four who is not currently being subjected to extremely hot and stormy weather, Mr. Theo Panagopoulos, Does it ever snow by you, Theo?
3: No, no, not even close. They actually even have to manufacture uh, snow on our mountains for the snow season. But I am very happy at the moment because I got up very early this morning to watch Australia play Peru in the World Cup qualifiers. And Australia got through and we're in the World Cup, so I'm Really, really happy at the moment. Oh, great.
0: All right. Congratulations, Australia. At this very moment, we are back, but that could change in an instant as three quarters of us could lose electricity at any time. In the event that happens, I will edit in the best of Kenneth Copeland's greatest sermons to fill in the time. We have some returning callers. We have some new faces that I haven't seen before. We have Robert Rodoloni. We have Mark Faulkner, James Allen, Ira Cohen is back, David Ortega. For the other people who are first-time listeners, why don't you just say your name, where you're calling from, and uh, what brings you to the show? Joseph, why don't you start?
4: Hi, I'm Joseph Brunges. I'm from Walnut Cove, North Carolina, and I've been listening to your show from the Cocaine and Waffles. Um, (laughs) I've been a frequent guest on the FPP, so you might recognize me from that. I'm here to represent for the large format side of your show.
0: All right. I don't think Nick Lyle is going to show up, but maybe maybe his, his spider
5: sense will start tingling. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Tony Colvin. I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. I actually live in uh, Laurel, Maryland. And this is my first time coming on, which you guys already know that. Uh, I just really enjoy the podcast, enjoy the concept and uh, just going to probably sit back and listen. Excellent.
0: Yeah, we encourage people to talk, you know, or welcome anybody to listen. Uh, we don't have any like actual special guests this week. We went on our tropical expedition last week, and we narrowly escaped certain death. We're, we're back though. And we had a lot of interesting feedback from people, uh, which cameras that they wanted to bring if they were in the same situation. But I was really pleased because while we were recording, it dawned on me that we're going to get a lot of people who may disagree with some of our choices. But I don't recall hearing too many uh, objections to some of our selections, even if they were rather Nikon-centric. Since Robert's here, though, we had a quick discussion, and you'll be able to explain this better. We were talking about the original Nikon F, how when you try to lock up the mirror, it doesn't happen until after you fire the shutter, it keeps it up. To, yeah you had told me once before why that is but I couldn't remember.
6: Well first of all the Nikon F is the only SLR with a locking mirror. When that mirror comes back down, you don't get any bounce, you get it locks automatically. Okay? If you put your finger in the in the throat of the camera, you cannot lift the mirror with your finger. It won't budge. All right? It's the only camera that ever had that. By the F2 they changed it. Uh, because of that mechanism to raise the mirror, you lose a frame. You have to lose a frame of of, of, uh, film to do it. Unfortunately, that's the only way to do it. They couldn't get around that feature, but that's why it is because it has a locking mirror. They have to, you have to unlock that mirror literally. And that way you you can shoot an Icon F upside down and the image is going to be absolutely correct. And the focus is going to be absolutely correct because the mirror is locked in that
0: position, cannot move. Now, when they did the F2, they obviously changed that. Do you think that was based off of feedback that people were unhappy or they found that locking the mirror just wasn't necessary?
6: I think part of it had to be with the, fa- first of all, the F2 had a much faster shutter travel than the F, okay? It was an improved shutter, totally different shutter on the F2. The F2, of course, was being was designed to be used with some higher speed motors than what the F was designed for. And I think they, had, they got into the situation where the locking of the mirror on each downstroke slowed the motor down, slowed your ability to have so many frames per second. And uh, so it was just a more modern design, but they did ditch that feature. Whether or not it was for feedback from people or users, I don't think so. not that many people shot with their mirrors locked up anyway,
7: but um, uh, they did do it.
6: And it was probably an improvement in the long run.
7: So Robert, Paul, do you think that the mirror lockup was because of the lenses or because of the shake? It sounds like it was a afterthought, you know, I don't think they would design it from scratch to require you to burn off a frame if they had thought of it at the beginning. So do you think it was these lenses or do you think it was for the camera shake?
1: I think it was for the lenses. Yeah. You know, it could have been camera shake, but that was such a minor, it was, in a, it was a feature, but it was not a feature that was that was critical to the camera. I mean, it's uh, the, the fact that there were probably maybe as many as five or six lenses that required the mirror to be locked up. That, that, that they would come up with the feature or with the uh, mirror lockup for that reason.
7: And were those like rangefinder designs that had been adapted? Yes. The 21 was. The 21 was a rangefinder lens. They both came out at the same time.
1: Their
6: optics are identical. And that allowed Nikon to have the widest wide angle lens for reflex at that time, to have a 21. Nobody else had a 21 or even close to it. 20, 25, I think, was the closest to it. But make it by having it a mirror lockup lens. They were able to claim they had a 21. Of course, you had to lock the mirror up.
1: That was actually a pretty good lens. Oh yeah,
6: yeah, yes, it was. It was a very simple design, not complicated at all. And the two opt, the two lenses had the exact same optical design. All they had to do for the reflex version, they had to, they had to square off one one side of the rear element a little bit so it could clear the the, the mirror as in the, in the up position was hitting that rear element a little bit. Otherwise, they are identical.
0: Yashica has an F1.2 lens where they had to do that, where they had to cut Mm -hmm. a section of the
1: element out. Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't remember which one that is, but I recall seeing that.
1: Yeah, I had one of those. That was one of the most, one of the rarest lenses I've ever had. It was actually a Tomioka 50 millimeter 1.2. And uh, they had to, they actually part of the rear element was scalloped out. Yes. Inside the baffle. Very strange lens.
0: That's crazy.
1: I thought it was actually broken when I got it. <laughs> I thought it was, there was a chip out of it. So I, I had to go look. Yeah. It and I found out if mine's broken, everyone else's is too.
3: How, how does chipping a, a section of the real element doesn't affect the, the, the actual quality of the image? Does it doesn't affect
1: it at all? It just wasn't using that part of the glass. You know, it just uh, the design of the optic was that it, it just didn't go there. It didn't. It oh, have anything to do with
6: it. The optical coverage of the, both the F and, and reef and rangefinder 21 nioress was the same it didn't didn't change that coverage at all or anything like that
0: so uh zeiss had the biogon which was also 21 millimeter from what you're saying that must have come later then right
1: no no the
0: biogon was out
1: before the nikon
0: yeah okay
1: i don't remember the optical formula of the 21 but it could be very similar to the biogon yeah they probably are similar yeah because you had said
0: many times before that when uh the original nycores were being made they took more influence from Zeiss lenses than yes. than light lenses. Zeiss so had a greater funny. impact on Nikon than Leica ever did. So um, it stands to reason that the Biogon yeah. was at least an influence, maybe. They they looked to Zeiss for optical engineering. They did not look to Leica for that at all. They they
6: copied Zeiss as much as they could. Gotcha.
8: And the des- design of the rangefinder cameras also, not just yes. the lens. They,
6: they they took the guts of the Leica. But the, the, the mount, of course, was the contacts, which was Zeiss. They simplified the, the Nikon by taking the more simple features of the Leica, which was the shutter and the rangefinder mechanism. Uh, the contact shutter was a nightmare that nobody could make besides them. But um, they made a wise choice in the end, really.
0: So Ira's uh, spoken a couple of times here before, too. And um, I, I always love talking to Ira. Um, for anybody on the call who doesn't know him, he's quite active in the Facebook camera collector groups. And Ira's got... Uh, quite the collection of cameras. And one thing that really impresses me about, I had a chance to visit him last year. One thing that impresses me is how few duplicates he has. So, you know, to have so many, you know, a lot of times people who are really into a brand will get like a whole bunch of the same kind, you know, and, and collect variants. But Ira, you have very few duplicates. And when you do have a duplicate, there's truly something different about the camera, but maybe it's the same model, right? Is that correct?
8: Yeah, but that really wouldn't be duplicate now. I've never understood why people get duplicates of the same camera. The only time I'll get an actual duplicate is if I find a better one and then I want to sell the one that's not as good. There you go. Other than that, there are no duplicates.
0: You know, we were talking a few minutes ago about, you know, the less loved camera brands and, um, I think you're a perfect person to speak to that because of the vast number of companies and cameras that you've seen. Is there any, like, let me backtrack a little. I know you love Alpha. (laughs) I was just going to say. This is your third collection. So you've had whole collections of cameras, gotten rid of them, and then just No, 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 no,
8: I did not get rid of them. I was robbed, literally. My apartment, the apartment I lived in with my parents was robbed in 1963, I think. Then my house... Where I was living in 1986 was robbed. Oh, jeez. And that's why I now have a very sophisticated alarm system with laser <laughs> beams and
0: sharks and everything else. And a guard dog. And a guard dog.
5: You <laughs> <get> <laughs>
0: here. So, Ira, of either of your previous two collections, is there still anything that from those that you've been trying to get that you still don't have?
8: No. My father, what part of the first collection, my father bought a kind of exact with a round window home from Europe after the war, World War II. He had a Rolleiflex 3.5e, but like I said, everything was stolen. Um, we started building up the collection together. I remember going to a bar mitzvah in 1969, and there was a photographer there using a two and a quarter by three and a quarter uh, graphic, speed graphic. And that culminated in a two and a half year search with my father looking for a speed graphic similar to that one. And that was great. I mean, spending just two and a half years with my father on a single quest for a camera was unbelievable. And I finally got it. I didn't get a speed graphic. One of my patients actually gave me a speed graphic, uh, but I got a century graphic that was the one that the guy had used. I didn't know from uh, which graphic was which at that time. But like I said, they just cleaned this out. They took everything could be plugged in, out VCR, televisions, radios, microwave oven. What happened was we went to Puerto Rico on vacation and my kids were chatting a mile a minute with the cab driver who took us to the airport. And he said, oh yeah, we're going away for two weeks. We're not going to come back. And I saw the little light bulb going on above the uh, cab driver's head. And I said, shut up already. And sure enough, we got called in Puerto Rico by my secretary. uh, The police called her and told us the house was cleaned
2: out.
6: Was anything ever recovered?
8: Of
2: course not. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you on this one. I uh, about nine years ago, I took a lunch break and I thought I'll just go home and have lunch and watch an episode of Doctor Who. And I went home and I noticed that our garage door was open and it was, it was unusual. We live out on uh, a, a state park where we're, we're very isolated. Our driveway is like a quarter mile long. And we're up on in a very rural part of, of the area. And uh, step out of my car, they were waiting for me. It was a home invasion robbery. And I got knocked out and hogtied and threatened with a gun. And they spent four hours clearing out our house. And I lost every camera I'd ever owned, except for uh, one camera that I'd loaned a friend, and one camera that I'd left at work. So I had my dad's uh, Retina Reflex 3 that they missed, and my FM 2. And they got everything else. And they got all my computers, and hard drives, and backup hard drives. And uh, I think our insurance claim was 52 single-spaced pages. When we wow. made the insurance claim. Wow. But uh, yeah, I know what it, I know what it feels like. You got wiped out and pretty much you have to have a bit of a, a Buddhist non-detachment about things. You have to just let it go. It was like every tool my grandfather and my father had ever given me, every lawn implement. They just they took they, they actually stole a hay trailer, a thousand pound hay, hay trailer, so they could steal more stuff. Wow. And uh, we just like had to start over from zero.
7: I gotta say, if I'm gonna get robbed, I'd rather be on a beach in Puerto Rico.
2: No kidding. You don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be at the end of a gun. Uh, I went probably five years without catching a camera, and then when I was in Berlin, my wife and I were in, traveling in Berlin at a conference for a cacao conference, and uh, wandered into this little shop called Click und Sir that specialized in finding old East German cameras and restoring them and selling them for on the on the you know just nice restored practicas and and Veras. And we saw uh, a Voigtlander uh, Vito C and a, uh, a Minox. And my wife was like, you've always wanted a Minox. You should buy that Minox. And I was like, well, I really like this, this Voigtlander. And she's like, get them both. And the, and the guy at the shop was like, your wife wants you to buy two cameras? <laughs> she's a very, very special lady. <laughs> and that, that, that got me back into collecting, though. That I had not picked up a camera in probably four years before then.
8: You know, I have a cabinet in my office also with cameras that don't really fit in my collection here and all my patients see them. So over the years, as everybody has switched to digital, a lot of my patients have just brought in their cameras and say, "Here, take taken. Yeah. I had the same thing. I had the
6: same thing happened to me. I used to have my own pharmacy for about eight years and I had, I put up a bunch of inexpensive cheapy cameras up on the top shelves around the pharmacy part. And uh, my customers would, would see that. And they started bringing me stuff, just all kinds of things, nothing special, you know, But they would come in and say, "Here, Bob, you can have this one." So I put it up on the shelf, and they'd be happy.
0: I'm I'm really hoping that between Ira and Anthony, nobody else here has had the misfortune of having been burgled of their collection. But uh, you know, it's definitely something to you know worry about.
3: I I got burgled when I was living in London. We were um, expecting our first um, child, and uh, we popped out. They broke in, and they literally knocked the whole door down in the apartment. We were only out for an hour or so. They took jewelry. They took you know, VCRs. They took, they took one lens, and what saved me, and I had things like a, almost a brand new F5 and all those kind of things back then. This was, you know, about ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. Was that we'd actually stored the bulk of my equipment in the room we were preparing for the baby, so they just bypassed that room completely. So they, they took. You know, it was a real bummer losing. All, the, all that jewelry and all that kind of stuff but it was actually quite interesting that the cameras were just left alone and uh, they didn't even know and that's probably one of the items they they would have liked to have moved on very quickly but yeah we, we then soon had a um, what was called a Chelsea bar installed on the on the actual door and if anyone that lives in London will know what that means is is there a special type of bar that reinforces the door that was actually designed specifically because Chelsea's a, a, a nice area? And that was the way that they were actually con- consistently burglaring people. So maybe stalk, you know, set up a room with baby baby items in there. And maybe, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> put some pampers <laughs> or
8: some you your cameras your- at the bottom of a diaper bag. There yeah. you go.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I used a diaper bag for a camera bag for years. It's, you know, one of those things <laughs> that got you, all
0: the compartments, right?
1: Nobody's going to steal it.
0: Right. Yeah.
6: <laughs> well they say while you're traveling you shouldn't use those nice fancy bags that the different manufacturers make like you don't walk around with a big old leather bag this big that says Nikon on it and uh so they, i always use bags that had no name on it just just totally blank it's a good tip
0: so um i don't know We're, we have a, we had uh While we were talking, Mark Peterson joined. He's back. And uh, I owe Mark an apology because like a month ago, I promised to send Mark some film and I completely forgot. So I'm really sorry, Mark but I, I will get that off to you as soon as I can. It's been, it's been crazy. Uh, you can see behind me, I have no walls. So I'm, I'm ever so slowly finishing this basement.
6: As soon as you get it done, I got to see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Robert, Robert, it lives five minutes from here and he wants to come over and see, but all you could see is insulation and, and framing right now. <laughs> but uh, this, this whole basement thing, I, you, um, it was Joseph. You said you had listened all the way back to the cocaine and waffles episode. And about a week or so ago, I actually listened to I think it was episode two Um, and it wasn't even five minutes into that show and I'm talking about my basement (laughs) it's like that was a year over a year ago and I just it's dawned on me like how long of like like a succubus of my life this thing has become
4: I'm actually sitting in my finished basement right now yeah how long did it take at least six months okay well I have a I have a the room I'm in right now is a little studio space and then I have a dark room and just off that that's a little bit bigger um, yeah. but yeah it took a while to figure out you know just figure out what you want you know spacing things and and then finding someone to do it for a good price i mean i got some ridiculous quotes before i found someone reasonable to do it
0: well and that's what's the delay is for me i just i i we had people come in and i i couldn't swallow any of the quotes so i just said you know what i'll just figure it out i'll do it myself i've never done anything before, so. Uh, a whole bunch of YouTube videos and and a little bit of willpower, and I've been able to make it this far. I mean, I we did hire an electrician for the light, so I didn't do any electrical. But in terms of all the framing, it, it's not hard. Hiring
8: an electrician is a good idea. Yeah. Did you know there's only two kinds of electricians? Good ones and dead
0: ones
7: yeah <laughs> be sure to put in a, a nursery yeah nursery for the protection of the cameras yeah <laughs> i'll
0: get one of those chelsea bars on, on the door down here so
4: are you making a dark room down there as well or is it just a mic
0: for me i don't do any printing so um i do my own developing i have a room a utility room with a sink and everything where i hang you know do all that stuff in there it, when i need to put film in tanks uh, I just go in the bathroom and turn the lights off. So I, I'm not going to have a proper dark room. At least that's not in the plans yet. Um, maybe one day after everything's all settled and my kids are a little bit better because I still have two small children, maybe I'll, you know, get an enlarger and start doing my own printing. But for the time being, I really only really need the darkness to get stuff into the tank. So no, I just have a utility room for that. I know right. some people do their bathrooms. Yes.
6: If you ever need an enlarger, don't buy one. <laughs> I got a Bester 23C sitting over here, barely, barely used. I was okay. going to offer one, then, That makes two of us.
1: Yeah, I got one, for, <laughs> I got one to give away also.
6: <laughs> I got the extra large baseboard on it and everything. I but still have the plastic cover that goes over the to protect
4: dark it. Darkroom world.
0: I'm looking at, we're on Zoom, and there are, there's 13 people on here. And obviously, besides my own, I've been to Robert's house. I've been to Iris' house. I've been to Mark Faulkner's house. And just recently, I visited Paul. Um, I've met Paul before. We've met at shows before, but I, I never got to visit him at his home. And, uh, you know, he got to show me some really cool stuff. You had your uh, bestseller enlarger that you said was unique because it's manual. Yeah. Is that
1: right? It's a 45V. Well, the big which one, yeah. a single girder rather than a, a, a two girder. And it's not motorized. It's, uh, it's a, a crank up like the Omegas. And I, I prefer that because with the motorized, I can never stop them exactly yeah. where I wanted them to stop. So I was I was always fighting with it. So when I had the chance, I was a best dealer. So I was able to get one of the 45 Vs.
8: Mike that reminds you asked about brands that people like but are off the uh broken yeah. was it the broken path. Here, take a look. Tell me where I should stop.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's Ira, that's conspicuous consumption and you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, was that an Adiksa we passed?
8: That was the very first Adiksa called the Comet. That's before it even had the Adixa name.
9: Okay, so I, I have the very first Adixa. It all works, but the uh, at the slow speeds, the curtain doesn't quite want to close, and I I can't find information on like I on a on a uh, Zenit. It's very simple. There's a little screw. You don't have to really take it apart. Just the bottom plate to tighten the second curtain. But the Adixa looks totally different inside, and I. Since the camera basically works and I'm not too skilled, I don't want to have to take it all apart. One of the things I like in terms of collecting is what
8: I like to call Alpha Omega, which is the first camera in a series like this particular Comet. And I also have the Adixa TL Electronic. Mm -hmm. So that would be the last one. And I had that with a whole bunch of stuff.
0: There's how many different retinas have been made? And Ira, you only have two, right? You have a 117... And what one of the SLRs, maybe? And a three, No,
8: I don't have any of the SLRs, unless you want to count the instamatic reflex. But I have a three also. That's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I mean, with with everything you have, like only two of them are Retinas. You have very few TLRs. You have almost um, no point wait, shoots.
8: I have very few. I don't have any six, six by six. Six TLRs. by six. Yeah. Zero. That's what I meant to say.
0: But I have plenty right. of other ones. Right, like one twenty sevens and. You have the yeah. Gemflex I saw there. Yeah, that
5: little well, hit, the little the hit camera. Te-
0: yeah. So um, you had a camera that I recently wrote about. Can can I say that? Sure. <laughs> uh, that was the Eigenbau camera, which um, it's it's I, I just call it that only because that means homemade camera. He's got it right there. And this camera I is just strange. It's it's the most recent review on my site. This thing, there's a plate on the back uh, that dates it or. Uh, it origins it from somewhere in the UK, Le- Leicester, I can't ever pronounce it right. Yeah. Um, I found Lester. that guy's... Lester, it. Lester I found Lester. It. Yeah. You, know, you wonder who would make a camera like that. You would assume that anybody making their own camera might just hobble together a lens on a box. But whoever made this thing went through great pains to create like a top plate shutter release. He has a zero lash setting on the film transport. So you can actually tighten a screw below the gears that transport the film for like perfect frame spacing.
8: Yeah, this this has a film advance unlike I've ever seen before. If you look at it here,
0: this lever on the top is the film advance.
8: Yeah. And it also cocks the shuttle.
0: But this thing is completely homemade. It, it shoots 12 millimeter by 17 or 18. I can't remember what I wrote. Uh, so it's it's almost like a sub-mini, but the camera's huge. Well, not huge, but it's about the size of like a full frame 35 millimeter. but it just it's very small images.
8: You know what? The image is similar to that of a
0: biflex. Explain what a biflex is
8: for anybody who doesn't know. It's very strangely put together in that I think you have to put the film through the camera twice, once upside down and once right side up.
0: Well, when I think of a 35mm camera that makes smaller images... Um, the Ticina comes to mind. So this thing shoots regular 35 millimeter. Robert, this is your camera. Looks familiar. Yeah. I finally gotten around to shooting it. I'm on my second roll of film through it. I had to find a cassette before I could load it. Cause uh, you absolutely cannot. I, I tried to see if there was a way I could just like tight roll film and, and, and see if it would still work, but the motor would just won't pull it through. But uh, it's it's pretty neat when you see the 35 millimeter strip, but the images are quite a bit smaller. So it's like a sub-mini, but it uses regular film for easy development. And that's about the same size images that the, that Eigenbau camera makes.
8: By the way, here's the Biflex to give you an idea. Here's a ruler.
0: Iris showing us, it's really hard to see. It's about two by four. Two by four. And it it's 35 millimeter and it shoots yeah. smaller than 35 millimeter pictures.
8: It's a tiny, I think it's 11 by 15. Wow. And it's interesting because the outside of it, Looks like an old Bell and Hell
0: film movie camera. It has that flocked brown covering. Very strange. You mentioned uh, Alpha and Omega. It's not quite the Omega, but a, a, I have a Bolsey Jubilee, uh, which these are, it's the B2 with uh, a German lens and shutter. So they upgraded it, but otherwise it's, and it's got a fancy plastic top plate too, but I haven't shot with this before too, but I've, I've had pretty good luck with the B2. You know, it's got a woolen sack, I think an Alfax, if I remember correctly. I have it buried somewhere, but these are quite nice. I have um, one of
8: those, but it's labeled as a Wittenauer.
0: Wittenauer, yeah. They yep. had a, a Wittenauer rebrand, but it's the same camera. But they all have a what a Steinheil lens, which is, you know, German, I guess. That helps sell them better. But I, I, I had pretty good luck with the, with the woolen sack lenses on the other versions. Theo. Why don't you, you know, we were talking about some, some brands or cameras that we, we haven't talked about. I mean, Alpa certainly qualifies, but uh, other than Ira, I don't know that much of us have uh, anything to add with those. Do you, do you have a brand or
3: anything that you? I have a brand, but it's not something that's sought after or anything like that. It's just a bit of a well, that's throwing okay. comment when we talked about it. But it was actually interesting then when you mentioned before the other camera that doesn't actually use the whole frame. Um, of the 35mm. I've got a camera here called the Benzini Corol 24S, yeah. which is a bit of a weird duck because it's it's a great little, yeah, it's a great looking camera. You've got something similar there, Mike. Right? And um, I've got one here, I've got the I've got the the hood for it and all sorts of stuff. But it uses 120 film, but shoots four by 3.5 centimeter frames. So basically wastes a whole bunch of that film. and um, But you get it,
0: 24 exposures per roll, though.
3: Which you I do think get 24 exposures, but there's so much wastage there where yeah. you, you kind of wonder why didn't they just use the whole width of the, the actual film, which, which probably has something to do with the, the actual yeah, lens ability to, to capture that. But as you can see there in the back, you can see that it's sort of framed off is that uh, mask and, removable? No, no. Oh, uh-huh. At least mine's not
0: either. Yeah, I remember yeah. I wrote about this camera. It's been a long time, so it, uh, my memory's a little rusty. But these cameras are made in Italy and Milano. Um, I believe the reason was 35 millimeter film was still very expensive back then, whereas roll film was easier to come by. And they were trying to make as economical of a camera because these these I mean they're neat cameras, but they are very basic. These are. I don't know about yours, Theo, but this is like one solid piece of billet, you know, just kind of chiseled, right?
3: It's basically a box camera made out of metal.
0: Right. It's a box camera. Mine has a two-speed shutter. The lens isn't collapsible. It's fixed. I mean, it's a basic camera. What looks like a selenium exposure meter is just a piece of plastic. doesn't even do anything. (laughs) Um, But I think that the reason they had to do that was because roll film was cheaper and they didn't want, you know, making a six-by-six camera or even a six by four and a half, you're limited to 16 shots. So they just shrunk it down even more and gave people 24 exposures. So you put the one in the first red window, then you put the one in the second red right. window. Yes. Okay. It's exactly like if you've ever shot 127, uh, which is what I owe Mark. <laughs> I'm going to keep, yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, it's got the two windows, like a foster. Yeah.
10: yeah. And this, this one's, Oh, what do you got there? This is the Comet three. And it also has the two red windows on the back as well. So also a very strange Benzini, Creation. Now, what kind
0: of, is that 127? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Now, that looks like, um, it's more of an upright camera. It almost looks like a yeah. motion picture. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, and it turns out it's not. It's just the uh, still. Okay. Yeah,
8: You're I've right. got
3: one here as well, but yours looks very different to the faceplate. That's because looks...
8: the Roman numeral three yeah. is different than the Arabic three.
3: Yeah, if Theo's you, is much different. Put them side by yeah. side. Yeah. Right, okay. Interesting. I
0: see, yeah. That's... Which one's older? I'm going to guess Marx is older. Theo, yours looks more well, modern.
8: Well, it's from the Roman Empire. It's got to be old.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a rumor saying that the Italians just gathered old warplanes that have been downed and actually made these cameras. But uh, I, uh, I don't put much stock into that. Are
7: there two viewfinders? Looks like there's no. Two there's only oh. the one.
3: The one oh. viewfinder at the back. There, a tiny okay. little one.
7: It looks like uh, there was a one on the side when you looked in
3: the, from the front. No, so they've just made it look very, you know, very fashionable, like the Italians do. Proto steampunk. But uh, they're, they're, it's actually interesting because they're, they're really not that great-made cameras. Uh, the quality, yeah, it leaves a little bit to be desired. But it does, you know, they've, they've put a bit into the design, and they, they're actually quite attractive. So um, it's quite surprising. Yeah. And then, yeah, just the design itself is a bit different. Like, yeah, yeah, the the shutters, that little lever on the side there.
1: So apparently, yours
10: was made for the South American market. What I'm reading here. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's got
3: itself lost coming over here.
7: It's a Southern Hemisphere model. The film turns the other direction. Ah. (laughs) That's right up Theo's alley.
3: (laughs) That means when you develop it, you have to swirl it down the way around, too.
0: That's a good uh, a segue into another brand that, you know, I, I'm trying to think, and I don't believe in 28 episodes we have spent much time at all, maybe just a little here and there about Yashica. You know, maybe that brand comes up a, a bit here and there. One of the very first film cameras I ever shot was an Yashica Electro, which um, a lot of pe- you know, that, people seem to be pretty divided on the Electro's people between liking the great lens that they have, but you know, they, they don't have full manual control. You can't set your shutter speeds on them. They're aperture priority uh, auto exposure only. But um, James Allen, you're on the show. And I remember you telling me previously that you had sent out a links, a Yashica links for service. Is that right? Am I remember correctly?
7: Yes, I did. I haven't got it
5: back yet.
0: Oh, you haven't gotten it back yet. Okay. Had you ever shot no. that camera before?
5: No, the shutter was stuck on it. So it, stuck it was right. just, it was beautiful shape. Just couldn't yeah.
0: use it. Yeah, the Yashica, um, the Yashica rangefinders, the fixed lens rangefinders are pretty much all good. Uh, I shot a Minister D, which is one of the more basic ones. Got great shots from it. Theo's got something there. I recently reviewed earlier this year the 35 CC, which I really love that camera because it has a 35 millimeter f one lens on it, which to my knowledge nobody else released. Um, that formula, I, I don't, I, 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 don't. It seems weird to this, me that they would design that lens formula.
3: Go ahead, Theo. This this one is the Yashica 35 GL, and it's got a 1.7, a 40 millimeter 1.7 lens right. on it.
0: They did so a lot it, of 40 millimeters, but this is a 35 1.8. Just tiny bit wider, but it's a basic yeah. camera, and the Didn't the Nikon one thing. One of those? Nikon did have a 35 1.8. I'm pretty certain it's not the same formula, though, um, unless they pulled out some.
9: I have here a Japanese rangefinder that I think you you have not reviewed. I could be wrong, but I'll. Uh, it, I bought it sort of a junk box from somebody uh, mainly to get uh, the Adixa Reflex that I mentioned earlier, and this camera was just kind of in the box, and I didn't think much about it until I got home and discovered it works perfectly. So t- tell me what you know about it. It's a... Minolta Rapid
8: Minolta Is that a V2? V2.
9: V2. V2. Yes, I and do it have it review of that. It goes to one two thousandth of a second, yeah. and it has a pretty fast lens. It's an F2 45 millimeter lens.
0: You know, there was just a discussion this week on our Camerosity Facebook page, using my last name as a verb. Uh, one of our listeners had just bought a, a Royer Teleroy, which I've reviewed before, and he okay. said, I ekman this camera and found a review for it. So, Howard uh i am ashamed that you did not ekman the the, the v2 no, no um, i i
9: i did i did, did just just now and i didn't see anything but i wanted to check with you it yeah i did
0: i will say this though that was one of the cameras of the dead so i i did not get a chance to shoot one oh, I had, okay okay i had two of them both of them were dead one of them i could at least wind it but just the shutter wouldn't fire and i tried my usual slate of submerging it in nafta and Nothing seemed to unlock it. And then the other one was completely... I think the viewfinder was cracked on. It was just in miserable shape. So having had two of those... I gave up and just said, you know what? I'm going to write a little bit. I had some information because sometimes like my reviews, you know, it takes me a while to get this stuff. And, and the reason is, well, there's multiple reasons for it, which I won't bore you to, but it just takes time to find this stuff. So while I'm researching a model, I will find stuff for other cameras that sometimes I don't even have. But if I think it's interesting, I'll, I'll make a folder on my, my desktop and, and name the folder that camera. And as I just find random crap, maybe a PDF or a, an ad or something i'll just save it there in case i ever come across it or one of you guys will say hey you know i got one of these i'm like oh i got some information on that let me borrow it and i'll review it or maybe it's a camera i do have i just haven't got around to it anyway so i had this mm-hmm. stuff for the v2 and uh, i just had enough information i said i'm just going to write a little about it but uh so I, I didn't actually shoot it but i can tell you you asked a little bit about it uh minolta did this a lot i think those all have seiko shutters um they had a Unio map which had a one 1,000th one shutter. They had the V2, which was one 2,000th shutter. There actually is a V3, which can go up to one 3,000th of a second. And it's a leaf shutter. The and leaf shutter? It's a leaf it's all shutter. Shutters. Yeah. But there's a trick though. There's a trick and how they're doing that. And I've only Seiko, or it could have been Citizen, but I want to say it's Seiko.
9: Well, I'm looking at the, the bottom of the camera says Optiper, Optiper, Optiper. HS Citizen. Sorry.
0: Citizen, so, okay, so it's Citizen who did it then. What they did, and this is hard to describe without seeing it, but for anybody who has seen a leaf shutter, usually there's five blades and they're all actuated. So when they're closed, they overlap. When they all open, they create light that passes through. But a leaf shutter, unlike a focal plane, has to completely open before it can start to close, right? Leaf shutters don't just open part way and then close. Uh, whereas like a focal plane shutter can achieve faster speeds because the second curtain can start to close before the first one is done opening. Whereas leaf, that's why leaf shutters can flash sync at any speed because at some point the leaf shutter is always open. However, that usually only goes up to one 500th of a second. On 35 millimeter, there are very, very few cameras with leaf shutters that can go faster than that. In fact, many medium format leaf shutters top out at like 1,400. Aries made a camera called the 35V that tops out at 1,400. And the reason for that is they're actually using a medium format copal shutter, or I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a coral shutter, I think. What Minolta and Citizen did to get speeds 1,000, 2,000, and 3,000 is there's like a pre-cocking, of the blades that when they're closed, when you select those higher speeds, it actually twists them beyond closed. So they're actually closing more than they would normally be closed. It's kind of hard to describe again, but when you fire the shutter, it opens what it thinks is all the way, but because the shutter blades started past where it would have normally started, they never actually get open all the way. So, if you look at your camera, do you have it in front of you, Howard? Look at the aperture settings. You should see a blue and I think a red line next to the f-stops.
8: I heard that you can't use those at full aperture.
0: Is that true? correct? That is true.
9: It, it'll only go to f eight at one two one two correct. thousandth, and it'll only go to f four at one one thousandth.
0: So, if you if you try to visualize, let's say, a, you know what a bell curve looks like, right? The beginning of the bell curve is when it starts to open. The peak of the bell curve is maximum open. And then on the other side, it's closing again. With that camera, it's essentially shifting it over so yeah. that you're only actually using part of the bell curve and that's how they're able to get speeds faster than what the shut. So realistically that shutter is probably still opening at the same, that the blades yeah. are still traveling at the same speed as one 500th, but yeah. because the starting position is altered for one, one thousandth and one 2000th, that's why you can, it will never open all the way because the shutter actually is opening all the way. It's just being moved over so that the blades right. are still overlapping. Does that make sense?
9: Yes, it does. So I did I have shot a roll. Uh, it was all fine, but just just judging from the density of the negative, which is difficult because it was color, um, It it was uh, one two thousandth was closer to one one. It was faster than one five hundredth, but both of the top two speeds were close to one one thousandth. Which is still pretty good. I'm I still mean still pretty if, good. Yeah. If it works at all, I'm satisfied. It has a beautiful, nice big viewfinder parallax correction and no complaint And I would
0: expect when those things were new, they one two thousandth probably wasn't really one two thousandth. They're just they're probably the marketing team probably ran with that a little. Yeah. But it because of the physical orientation of those blades, and again, I if you, if I imagine people listening at home are probably confused, but all I could say is if you start running before the door opens, then you can complete your, your journey sure. with only light entering in at the second. So there's actually a delay. There's an infinitesimal delay from when the shutter begins opening when light is exposed. It's probably very, very small, but that's how they're able to do that. And I, whatever the one three solid, it's not. I've never seen that one, the V3. Um, th- that one you probably can only shoot at like F sixteen or something crazy like that.
7: But the upshot is effectively the shutter doesn't open never opens all the way.
9: Uh, I, I did a flash, you know, just looking at the wall through the lens at, at a thousandth of a second. And instead of a circle, you see uh, you see sort of a five-leaf clover shape. Like you you see the blades. Uh, it's not right. it's not a circular, it's not even a a polygon shape. Um, and it's not full, it's not the full aperture, right? So
0: it in effect accomplishes what they're saying it does. And I think that that's really, really cool. And I'm, I'm, I don't know of any other company who used those shutters because Minolta didn't make the shutter citizen did. And as we know, Japanese companies, like it was Coral, Seiko and citizen provided probably, I don't a overwhelming majority of leaf shutters to Japanese manufacturers. Oh. So why nobody else use those? I, I don't really
9: know. So uh, Optiper is, is citizen, but not, they're not, they're not, they're not a, a brand of Seiko. They're a different company.
0: Yeah. I said Seiko at first, cause I wasn't hundred percent sure. It's been quite a while since I've seen it, okay. but if yours, if you're says citizen, then that's who made it.
9: Yeah. But it also says Optiper. It says both it says Optiper HS. Yeah. Citizen. I don't,
0: that I don't know. But I know Minolta used OptiPur shutters on, on other things too. Um, another cool, it's, it doesn't have a fast speed like that, but a camera, Paul, you had, I looked at when I was at your house, that is kind of under talked about that I really like is the Minolta Auto Wide, which is, yeah. it's technically part of the A series of their fixed lens range finders, but it has a 35 millimeter, I think an f 28 lens on it and um the the lens formula that they used on it has incredible depth of field so they wisely did not put a rangefinder on it and i know some people don't like scale focus but that camera it it has offers so much depth of field you can pretty much shoot a whole roll of film as long as you're not trying like close-ups in a bar you you don't really even need a rangefinder it's very fast to shoot produces wonderful images has a a nice record lens on it uh, and and it's pretty compact i mean the the, a, the Minolta A series, so the A, the A2, and the auto wide, I, I don't think this is true of the A5, but the, the first three in the Minolta A series, the shutter is actually backwards in the, in, the, in the camera. So what would normally be the front of the shutter is actually inside the body. And if anybody has an auto wide or an A or an A2, there's a dial on the top plate that you use to change shutter speeds. And the reason that dial is there is because underneath it is actually where the speed ring is for the leaf shutter. And that dial just has a gear on it and it's rotating the speed dial.
7: On my A, it's like a volume knob on a radio. Right, exactly.
0: It's like that on purpose because if you picture a a leaf shutter, usually there's the ring that you use to change the speeds. That would normally be at the front of the lens, but uh, Minolta mounted them backwards backwards. So that ring is still there. It's just inside the camera. So they had to add that little volume knob thingy at the top that when you spin it, it's spinning the main dial below it. Thank you for explaining that. I always wondered about that. I have a review. I think it's for the AutoWide. Wide. There's a guy in England that I talk to a lot, CJ Hoog He runs CJ's Classic Cameras uh, and he does kind of his own repairs. And he took a part one of those. And I, I, with his permission, I shared some images of them disassembled and you actually could see a typical leaf shutter speed ring inside the body of the camera
7: under that dial. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Minolta guy because my dad was an AMC car driver. I feel like they're the uh, American motors of, uh, of camera makers. They, uh, they never knew they were in second or in third place, even though they spent all of their, all of their lives in third place. Fourth place. Okay. (laughs) I'll give you that.
1: This was my choice for uh, undervalued cameras, underloved cameras. It's a Minolta SRT-MC, black paint. That's the Kmart one, right? Kmart version, yep. Yeah.
11: my first camera.
1: Because it has a a hot shoot. There you go. I think this was an SRT-201, or 202. Something like that sounds right. Does it have a mirror lockup? It does not have
7: a mirror lockup. I think the twos have mirror lockup and the ones were the...
1: there was an SRT-MC2. That would have been the SRT-202. So this was a 201. That would have been a two.
0: That was kind of a, an economic model, I think, that Kmart sold. Yep. Right? So does that have, the, does it say CLC below the prism?
1: Uh, yes, it does.
0: It does? Okay, so it does have the good meter still.
7: Yep. And is the aperture follower metal or plastic?
1: Uh, it's metal. Yep. The other one that I thought was sort of cool, uh, the Maxim. Which everybody has seen a Maxim. This is the two millionth camera Maxim. Oh, man, cool. Uh, That's cool. <laughs> which uh, they uh, they painted. All it is is just a, 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 engraved on the back, the number is two million, and the uh, front of it is uh, in gold. Is that the Crust X model? This is not. This was before, this would have been before the Crust. See, this one doesn't say Maxim on it. It was sold only, I think, in Japan. Because it's it just says it just says seven uh, thousand. You know, say, I got one of
8: those in nineteen eighty five, and it did have the uh, double X, which was involved in the Exxon lawsuit. px right. P.S. Mine malfunctioned. I sent it back to Menalton. It came back with the uncrossed X's.
1: Uh huh. Oh no. This, oh, this really? lens on this camera is a double X double X lens. I seem to have a lot of double X lenses right now. Uh, so
0: so real quick for, for anybody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Maxim is spelled with two X's. When they first released it, they took the two X's and kind of double-crossed themselves. But it looks very similar to the double X's that Exxon, the oil company, used. And they got what? They got sued?
6: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They got sued because they said that it was too close to their logo. So they had to quickly go and change it. So collectors seek the double X, the crossed X Maxim's.
1: Well, the other part of that story was that uh, Exxon offered them a very low price to settle. And Minolta said, no, we don't want to do that. So they, they were sure, so sure they could win the lawsuit that it wound up costing them like 20 times as much as they could have gotten if they had just settled it. And that happened with the, the, uh, X, the XK also. There were some technology in the XK that uh, they infringed on somebody.
0: No, they got sued by Honeywell because they stole yeah. the autofocus technology that Honeywell had developed. So they were getting sued like back to back around that time, I believe.
1: Yeah, they had several lawsuits. That's why I love Minolta. They're pirates. You know, the XK was a cool camera. The XKM, uh, there were a lot of a lot of advanced features on that camera. It just it just never they just never were able to get uh, to get support for it from the professional market.
0: It's got um, a little pad that when you grip it, your hands make contact with it. And it uses, I think, inductance to enable the shutter release. So if, like, the camera's in a camera bag and you could press the shutter release and it won't fire, but you have to be holding the camera with your skin making contact to that little pad uh, on that camera before it'll even allow you. And then they... Later, with the, with the XG7, the XD11, the shutter release is capacitance, like what you're showing there, Larry. Yeah, they, they had a capacitance detection. So, But when you tap your finger to the top of the shutter release, it powers up the metering circuit. On the XK, and then it was also called the X1, I think, in different markets. If you look, on the front of the camera, there's like a, a textured black grid. And you have to be touching that, otherwise the shutter release doesn't work. Howard, you're shaking your head. I
9: I I had a Minolta digital camera, the Dimage A1. I think it was the last Minolta branded camera, because the, the A2 was branded Konica Minolta. And it had that technology. The hand grip had these uh little metal, yeah, metal pads, yep. and I and it wouldn't the camera basically wouldn't start or the autofocus wouldn't start until you were gripping the hand grip. It was actually, it worked well. It was a nice feature. It, it was did. reliable.
3: Well, what happens if you're wearing gloves? Yeah, yeah, that's wearing a good question
9: because I, I know I would have shot it in the winter. Um, I, this camera
8: doesn't work. work with gloves. It's like you trying just, to use a cell phone with gloves. does not, not
7: work. Yeah, it doesn't work with gloves, but you can half press the button anytime right. and it'll that's do another half press
0: larry's right the the ones where they pre-power up the metering system that's just to have it ready for you to work the xk though i think the shutter will not fire unless it thinks you're holding it so what ira what you're saying is it won't work at all. I think Howard, the later ones that have like the, the Maxim seven I'm working on a review for that right now that has little vertical metal stripes in the hand grip. You can still use it. It just uses that sensor to pre power up the meter so that it's ready to go. So it's like they had that eye detection thing where it'll, it'll kind of enable the autofocus system. When you bring it to your eye, Minolta was very big at that time of, trying to get their cameras like only from the mind of minolta they wanted them to be ready to go instinctively you pick up the camera put it up to your eye it's already powered up
9: well what i do remember about the dimage a1 the, the digital camera is if you put it to your eye it would automatically switch uh the the live view from the the rear screen to the uh, uh electronic viewfinder so it did ha- it did have an eye sensor for that
0: the sony alphas still work that same way yeah because they have minolta
8: Here's a maximum nine. You can see the pads. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That,
9: that's how the Dimash looked. Yeah. Yep. They used.
0: That yeah, on I got the, the cameras.
11: seven as well, right here, and it's the same thing. Yeah. Does and your seven work, I, David? Yes. Um, I have three. One, my wife has one. Um, I have a second one that has the aperture thing, and then this one works perfectly fine. And I was I, when when I got muted, I was actually going to show that I had um a fifty macro with the um X with the double process. X on it. Yeah. Nice. So, So, you know, the,
0: the seven is, I really, really like that camera. I love the ergonomics of it. Show the LCD on the back, David, this thing, if you were to just glance at it, you would think it was a digital camera, but it has a huge LCD on the back door and you could program like everything on it. You could program the, you know, the programmed auto exposure at what speeds different settings do. You, you can even select, multi-autofocus points with it too it's got a ton of buttons but that camera i've had three of them and all three of them have the same problem where anything more than wide open and you get an ee message on the display because there's some kind of aperture linkage that that breaks over time and i thought almost all of those were dead but you have two of them that
11: work properly yep yeah this one um Thankfully, the grip isn't like super all messed up. And then the one that my that I found for my wife, I had to like wipe it down because it was getting kind of tacky. But I'm kind of like cycling through all the different menus. It has like I don't even know how many menus.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have a review of that coming up later this summer, uh, even though mine doesn't work. But I was I may I was able to shoot it wide open. Everything. It was fine then. But you try to stop it down even to F2 and it, it'll air out. But um, I, I would love to find one of those in good working order because they are very nice cameras.
1: Is that the camera that, what's the rewind crank like on that? Or is it a is it a power rewind? Uh,
11: these ones are just oh, power. 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 Yeah, there's no rewind. Which
1: one? Which camera was it? Didn't Minolta have a camera that had a very strange rewind crank that it pulled up and then, then went off to the side?
8: Yeah, like the Yalpas. It, it was a parallelogram.
1: Yes, yes. But it wasn't the Alpha. There was another, uh, Minolta I believe had a model. I think it was the maximum 9,000. Yes, it was, it was a 9,000. Hang on, exactly Let me right.
0: check. Anthony has a 9,000. If he were here, he would talk about it. They released a model around the mid nineties called the 600 SI and the 650. I did a review of the 650 and it does, it does not have a mechanical rewind, so it's still power but that camera has a lot more knobs on it than you. Oh, look at that. Anthony just appeared.
1: There
8: you go. You can see the
1: parallel. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, there you go.
1: Yeah. It's a very odd, uh, but very
0: well, odd. If you're not used to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Anthony, we were just talking about Minolta SLRs and you have a, do you have a maximum 9,000 or is it just the nine? It's the nine XI. The nine XI. Okay. So that's not the same one then.
2: Actually I only own three Minolta cameras. I've got the, the super wide or is it the auto wide auto wide? Yeah. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> the super a, the super a, which we both love. Yeah. And then the nine XI, those are the only three Minoltas that I own.
0: Pretty good three though. So um Anthony, welcome back. Is that, How'd you do it trivia? Uh,
2: we killed it on the second half. I think we're going to get third place though. Out of like 20 teams.
0: We've talked about unloved or untalked about Alpas. Uh, we've been talking about Minoltas. We had a very brief Bencini discussion i actually was able to find one of mine
2: pretty quickly but i thought there wasn't there a brand that you wanted to talk about well i mean i'm partial to the Konica auto reflex the original yeah. auto reflex that has the ability to switch between full frame and half frame it's just like one of these weird transitional cameras as a uh, as a mechanical slr it's like super solid i mean it's a it's this things a brick those lenses are are really nice the, the, the there's a 50. 714 or 5814 that is just it's a a world-class lens and uh it's just one of those cameras that surprised me because i've I've handled a few of the later auto reflexes like the t3 and the t4 uh and i just think that i I wish that they stayed in the direction of the auto reflex
10: yeah i've got the japanese market version of it the auto rex and love that love this thing yeah it's a really
2: cool camera
6: I used to have, I don't have it anymore, but I was in Holland one time for the camera show. I picked up the German version, which is a review, R-E-E-E-V. Yeah. It's the same
0: camera, just a different nameplate. Yeah, Iris showing a black review. Oh, is, is that, that a review? The black Autorex. 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 Oh, that's the Autorex, yeah. I have a review on
8: order. It's coming within the next couple of weeks. But that one's Chrome only. Yeah.
0: Now, Mark, I, I'm sorry if you said it already, but doesn't your, don't you have an unmetered one? This is an unmetered.
2: Yeah.
10: The autoreflex is unmetered. Yeah.
0: Okay. They all are. Okay. I wasn't
10: sure.
2: No. It wasn't. No, the autoreflex is half a meter because they're automatic. No, there's the an or, S.
8: Listen, the autoreflex was called the auto reflex. The autoreflex P was yeah, the I one with it. meter. Yeah. And that's it. what this one is as well. Yeah. Exactly. There it is.
0: Because you can tell the, where the meter would be. It's kind of just a chrome circle mm-hmm. on iris and marks. So at a glance. Yeah, there you go. It almost looks like a front shutter
2: release, kind of like a Miranda.
8: Well, we're it's not
2: where shutter. That's why. Yeah. yeah. It's also where the, uh, the, the pen F, the FT have their shutter speed. So
0: I have a Holy grail Konica that Ira, I don't think you have. Cause I looked for it when I was at your house. Do you have the original Konica F? No, that's, that's hard. That's hard to find. Yeah. That's was the, it, it's, it's, it's not the Copal Square. Konica had been developing a shutter supposedly with the same people who developed the Copal Square. I'm still not hundred percent sure on that lineage, but it is a vertically traveling metal blade shutter. Uh, it predates the Knicker the XF, which had it, uh, but the, the Konica F has a top shutter speed of one 2000, And it has a really neat feature where the pressure plate backs off the film gate as you advance film. Yeah. So the, the pressure plate re- removes its pressure while the film's advancing. Then when you get to the next frame, the pressure plate moves forward again to put the correct pressure to keep the film flat. But it does that so that there's almost no chance of scratching the film while it's advancing to the camera. The um, Konica also did that exact same thing on the Coney Omegas, do that too, where you know you have, this one's loaded, so I can't do it. You have the rapid lever where you pull it out and shove it back in. You're advancing that film so fast, the pressure plate backs off while the film's traveling. And then when you push it back in and you make it ready for the next shot, the pressure plate moves forward to maintain pressure on the film so that you don't scratch it.
9: Did you say that was the Konica F was their original? Yes.
0: Yes. They made them only in 1960. Uh, Ira, correct me if I'm wrong, they only made what, like 300 of them.
9: No idea. So the aforementioned junk box that I bought where I got the Minolta V2, there was an old Konica in the bottom, which I hadn't, and I, it it didn't work at all. And it was dirty and moldy and it, I kind of looked like that. And I ended up, I couldn't, I did a quick Google, couldn't find much about it and tossed it in the garbage. It might've been a Konica
5: F. The original
6: F had a removable prism. It was the only one they made with a removable prism was the very first model. Okay. That's, so maybe that's it- possible.
0: It was a pretty advanced camera. It cost. Yeah, it was. It was. I think equal to, it might have even been more than the Nikon F.
6: It was designed to compete with it head on.
0: They went way, old. whereas Nikon was listening to what the pros wanted and built a camera to professional specs of what yeah. they were asking for. Konica kind of went way beyond that and said, here's some futuristic tech that we think yeah. is cool. And it was. But they, I think, quickly realized that they they couldn't build them. They were hard to build. That's I think why their mount, like
6: f- the throat on their mount was too narrow,
0: That's, too. They right. couldn't make the optics. So this is the Konica FS. So this FS. is the second camera they made. Right. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's the Konica F. It, it, ha- it still has the vertically traveling shutter, but it's limited to one one thousandth. It does not have the moving film plane feature, and it does not have a meter. The Konica F had a built-in selenium meter as well. So it's unmetered, normal prism, or sorry, normal pressure plate. It's
6: fixed prism. Uh,
0: it's a fixed prism, but it does use the same mount. So Anthony talked about the auto reflex that had a brand new lens mount. Konica kind of realized. So when, when Nikon originally released the F mount, it could not couple to metering systems. That's why they had to create the bunny ears. Kinda, a lot of companies ran into that same problem around the same time. Miranda added a coupling pin that was external. Some companies went external, some companies went internal. And Konica with the auto reflex just decided, screw it, we're starting over again. And they came out with a completely new mount. So the auto reflex, the lens mount's called the AR mount, which is a name that they generally kept through the rest of the Konica line. So if you ever get a Konica lens, they usually you'll see it labeled as AR conica lens and that's auto reflex but the original conica mount was called the f mount and this will be hard to show i'll have a picture of it on the show notes if you look that opening is very small compared very to the small. size of the camera and i don't know why they did that it's it's almost about as small as an haggie exact amount i don't have one in front of me but like here here is a fairly uh, larger than like a thread mount and it's an slr so the problem with small throat lenses in addition to not having coupling to the meter, um, they can't handle large lenses. Like they're just not physically large enough to handle it. So Kanaka quickly realized that this was a bad mount and then they redid it for the auto reflex, which you know, as we know is a fantastic camera.
3: Anthony, the one that you showed earlier, the auto reflex, is that with the dash in them between the auto and the reflex? Because yes. aren't they the ones that can switch over to half frame?
2: Correct. Yeah, it's got a it's got a switch on the top plate that if you've got the uh the ever ready case, there's a diagram on the bottom about when do you switch it over and when do you wind it uh, so that frames don't overlap when you do the switch. But it actually brings a uh, uh sort of like is a vertical is it a spring, uh, is so it a spring it driven there, mechanism yeah. for winding? Uh, yeah. it brings yeah. the uh, um it brings a, 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 like a pair of curtains over the frame. So you got a, a vertical half frame or a horizontal full frame. And you could switch mid-roll. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's awesome.
0: You oh,
8: can yeah. Switch
2: back and forth. I don't
0: think that they'll ever overlap. I don't think there's risk of that. But if you do it incorrectly, you'll waste film. And yeah, Anthony, it's bad spacing. Right. So Anthony, you if you have the, what he's talking about, it's in the bottom of the case, or you could just remember the right order to do it. If you do it in the right order, you won't waste film. You'll have proper spacing. But if you forget you're just going to waste a little bit of film when you switch. But yeah, you can go back and forth between full frame, half frame, full frame, half frame, and the exposure counter counts for it. I hear the film labs loved that feature. Yeah. The labs
6: went, the labs went crazy with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that was one of the reasons half frame didn't take off at all in the U.S. was the photo labs just revolted. They
7: fought it, they fought it. yeah. Yeah. In Japan, it was a little bit better widely accepted. To me, it's like cutting, cutting your pizza slices in half and saying you have more pizza. <laughs> right
0: <laughs> this is a roll of film from the Tessina. so if you yeah. look you can see it's not taking up the whole you know it's the image is closer to the top row of sprockets than the bottom you can kind of see a gap oh wow and how, how tiny those images are so this is yeah. film i shot on roberts Tessina. i have color film in it right now but it Looks it's, like it's, a movie kind of yeah and it's 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 got a motorized film transport you could probably fire only about one a second, though. It's really not that. F- I mean, like you can't hold it down. But I could go. Tsk, 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 yeah,
6: the gam- the gammy does the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's spring, but it 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 loses tension quickly. Like okay. even after three or four shots, you already start to hear it slowing down.
6: The gammy sub mini does the same thing. You when you cock it, you can get like three to four shots out before you have to cock it again.
9: The junk box I bought had a Rico spring-driven camera called. A, I think it was called the Rico Super Shot or maybe Rico 35 Super Shot. Yeah. I quickly sold it because I didn't. You, you had to have a weird mercury battery, like yeah. not even a button cell. It was a big mercury battery.
0: 640. It's the 640. Yeah, I have one of those too. There was a guy
9: who said he was interested and he would get it to work, so I sold it to him. But uh, yeah. it was spring-driven, which
3: I thought was kind of neat. I think David has some. Yeah, David has something he's wanted to show us here. Yeah, so I have.
11: I actually have two. One's hidden, and then I have this one right here. The SLR, the 680.
0: That's the pro Polaroid,
11: right? Yeah, the the basically the the same thing as an SX70, just with the autofocus and then also the flash, like all built in. But this one, I've had it like in green and black. So that's
0: the sonar autofocus. That's the sonar. Yeah. But it has but it also has a flash too. Yeah. Whereas the sonar just had the little tab at the top where you could optionally add it but that's built in. And yeah,
11: so th- this is all like built in and then on the back it like has the um the little you where you can choose whether you have a flash or not. And then the oh, difference neat. between this one too is that it doesn't take the SX70 film. It takes 600. Oh. So this one's already oh. like converted. That's a conversion though. That wasn't normal, right? no that was how they were that's
0: how they were oh, um like out okay. of factory and 600 film is slower right no, 600 no.
11: faster it's faster. faster okay okay and more readily available
7: <laughs> and when those fold they're like a foot long
11: yeah they're like wow yeah <laughs> wow big wow, problem that's... was you, you couldn't shoot through glass or um uh-huh. you can you just you just can't manual use focus. autofocus yeah, there's the like a little focus. tab right here where you oh, okay. switch it on to autofocus and then switch it on for manual focus right Yep. Yeah, we talked about the sonar
0: autofocus. One advantage it did have is it worked in complete darkness. So mm-hmm. if you had the flash and you were in a dark room, the sonar could accurately focus on something, you know, 10, whatever, 15 feet away from you, and then fire that flash and, in theory, get a properly exposed image.
11: Yeah, and then the second one I have is, um, this one's a 6008, the Roly. A lot of people talk about the RB67 and Hasselblads, but nobody really talks about this one that much. And then I have like the little handle for it as well. Because not many of them still work. That is true.
9: I've seen several of those for sale in Canada, and and they're surprisingly moderately priced. The lenses are not, and I assume it's because uh, the electronics are prone to
1: failure.
0: If you find one new in the box, never before opened, Anthony, do you think that would be a good uh, chance of getting it to work? Uh, no.
1: No, the, the problem with that's, those cameras, that's an inside joke. <laughs> the problem with those cameras was primarily that uh, they had element separation. Those lenses mm. were really, really prone to, to element separation. The other issue they had was that the batteries died on them, and it was really hard to get them. There was actually a guy in Canada who makes uh, who will resell them, or he will sell you a battery that comes with an external charge. But when they work, they're beautiful cameras to shoot with.
11: Yeah. And they also sound like the, like a gun going off when you fire them off too. No, this one's uh, the batterys set on it right now. <laughs> I want to cooperate. But yeah, I, I had a lens that also like went bad on it that um that I ended up trading just because that one it uh it wouldn't close down all the way. It had like some weird contact issue, but that was another eighty that I had, and I, this was my second copy, so I just kept this one. Very nice.
2: Yeah, we were joking earlier. I have a friend that just acquired a rather large collection of, of, of Roly gear from a, from a kind of crazy eccentric collector. And I always wanted to shoot the Roly A110. Which is, as a, camera, is a, is a Minox guy, the, the design of the A110, I think it's just a beautiful little camera. And he had six of them new in the box. Uh, one had been actually opened and used, five that hadn't. I used all six of them and didn't get one of them to work. They oh, all geez. had film advance. And these are like cameras that are literally new in the box. And I, I can only imagine it from sitting in a box for 40 years. Are they manual powered or are they by battery? No, no, no. It's, the, the problem is it's like a Minox where you open it and then close it to advance the film. And there's like a slip clutch and it's not advancing the film. So it can take a picture, but you can take like multiple exposures on one frame, but it will not advance the film because uh, that little slip clutch doesn't engage. And so you slide it apart and slide it back together again uh film didn't go anywhere
9: well one reason i got interested in the this edixa was uh i had read mike's review of it and uh, all the historical information about uh henry uh, i don't know if you pronounce it weirgin or virgin the owner uh, and how he was driven out of nazi germany and then came back and the camera was designed by the same guy that designed the roly 35 heinz and this uh, Vasky. Yeah, so it, it got me perfect. all interested and uh, the guy designed some nice cameras
0: <laughs> well that's what i was going to say they're gorgeous i i love the, that's one of the reasons i like the early mirandas too is they're just really pretty they're just nicely designed cameras
9: and, and i have to say that the uh the front shutter release uh i was kind of skeptical because i've had practicas that have a half front shutter release and angled and I, w- I didn't like that so much, but it is really nice. It, you, you can really hold on to it firmly and, and trip the shutter. Because you're pressing the shutter yeah. into your face. Yeah. So hey. if you
0: have that camera up against your nose, you've stabilized it from one end and you're pushing in instead of down. It's
8: also the exact opposite of a Zenit 16. Zenit at, sixteen. The shutter
0: releases on the back and you're actually yep. pushing it away from your face. And those require quite a bit of pressure too. They're not like very it's not like a olympus xa where the tiniest bit of pressure will fire it with the Zenit 16 you got to shove your thumb into there (laughs) to get that thing to fire
8: by the way here's my rolly 110 and it works fine have you tried it with film in it though i have no idea where to get 110 film
2: so yeah the problem is that all these cameras work except for the little slip clutch that engage after you shoot a photo so like a minox c you can open and close it without taking a picture if you don't take a picture, it doesn't advance the film. But when you take a picture, and uh, you, you engage the shutter, a little clutch comes in so that the wheel spins and drives the film. And on all six of these brand new cameras, even though the shutters would fire and the meters would work, uh, you couldn't advance the film. You put a, a, ro- a fresh roll of film in, and I had fresh Lomo film and also some of the FPP film. And uh, six cameras, not one of them could, roll the, could, could shoot the film. I'm sure that these are cameras that have been used over the last 30 years. They probably would function perfectly fine. But something is just gummed up inside of them, and it just they will not advance film.
9: How do you find the Minox uh, 35 compared to the Roli 35?
2: I prefer it. I'm also shooting a Minox MDC right now, which is the titanium scan version of the ML. And it's a stunning little camera. But I probably shot more frames on a Minox 35 GTE than any camera that I own. I bought one new in 91 or 92 and it's been around the world with me so many times. It's just like, it's my preferred travel camera. Um, I totally broke it in Iceland climbing a volcano and in sub zero weather sheared off the advanced lever and Dawn at DAG camera uh, restored it good as new. And I'm still shooting with it. It looks like hell. Uh, but I, I actually much prefer like if, cause you know, Dawn at, at DAG will do a complete overhaul. On a Minox thirty five for about a hundred bucks, and uh, if you've got one that works, I much prefer it to uh, the Roly thirty five. Hmm. Thanks, heresy.
10: Yeah, I lo- love these little Minox ones. They're great. They the really sharp image quality for the size,
2: and you just slip it in your pocket and go. I-, I really dislike the location of the the button to retract the lens on the Roly thirty five. I always hit it instead of the the, the shutter release because they're right next to each other.
0: Yeah yeah I've, I've done that too
2: and uh and i've had a couple of copies of the rolly 35 where the uh the shim that holds the camera in place gets loose over time so that the the barrel of the, of the lens uh is just loose in the body and uh i just i've had better luck with the Minoxes.
9: yeah uh, actually for a while i had the cheap version of the rolly 35 the b35 which uh all the controls are around the lens and uh, it wasn't as nice in that respect, but it did have the retraction button on the front, which was a better place. I thought you were gonna say the petri that we talked about before. The
0: petri no, color the pet, well the
9: petri is now history. My petri is now gone to somebody else. Uh, I in it was fine. I it just wasn't quite as nice uh, in the end. And plus half of the functions on mine didn't work. So
10: <laughs> Mark Peterson, you were off mute there for a second. Let's let's hear from you uh yeah i have uh I have one of those Minox 35s as well and I just don't have the greatest luck with it. I'm still trying it out but I've dropped it like twice i've sent it in had it fixed also i've had the i've had a problem I don't know if others have experienced it, but it got stuck and won't open all the way to or close all the way down to f16 so i it, it's the second time it's happened the first time it wouldn't go below like f8 and then the second time below f11.
0: And I don't know the line uh, that well, but from what I remember, you have to be careful with the very earlier Minox 35s. They they use a mercury be- battery, but it's also a weird-shaped mercury cell too, I believe. Like a 2.7-volt battery or something like that. Yeah,
10: mine's the, mine's the MB. I think it's not the older ones, for the sure. Older ones, yeah, the later ones are fine. I, I've but I don't... Got,
3: yeah, I've got the GT, and I just have a whole bunch of um, 357s in there, little batteries and it seems to work quite nicely maybe a bit of um, tin foil just to pat it up a little bit and it works perfectly mine was actually quite funny i found it in a uh, one of those flea markets and this thing was just sitting there with dirt all over and the guy goes i don't even know what what that thing is it's just a bit of plastic i've gone i'll I'll take that and it's worked perfectly so it's actually quite weird because um a lot of people say they have problems with it and i bought this dirty dingy looking one which cleaned up her really nicely and it's just worked perfectly from the day i've got it um once i stuck some batteries in it
10: so i got one other thing for you mike is that, that once i get that 127 film i got i guess i'm changing topics a little bit here but how oh, what are you using to develop um the film is there a a, a reel that fits the um, well if you have a patterson
0: film? all patterson reels have a setting for 127
10: I've all of the ones I've collected over the years for stainless steel. I have like oh, really? seven okay, or eight. Yeah. yeah if okay. any
0: of the, any of the ratcheting kind almost always have a setting for 127. Uh, if you only do stainless, you're going to have to get a stainless specifically for 127. Cause it's, it's almost perfectly in the middle between 35 millimeter and 120. There's just no way you'd be able to fit that
1: in there. Yeah, it'll be a lot easier to buy a Patterson uh, one reel tank than to yeah. find a stainless steel 127 If you're t-
0: only going to do a single roll and don't feel like investing in a tank, if you have a tray and can just do it with the lights off, you could do it that way too. I know laying, I mean, you could probably even just lay it in the film and just, because a strip of 127 is not that long. You know, if you have a, a decent sized tray, as long as you have enough fluid to cover it, you could do that if you're just doing it once ever. But if you think you're going to do it a couple times, Try to find at least one Patterson tank because they have a, a middle setting that will work for one
10: twenty-seven. Yeah, I've just been like collecting stuff, and stainless steel seems to be something that people are giving away. So that's we've, <laughs> that's what we've, I've we had a
0: debate. I don't even remember what episode it was, but we yes. went back and forth about who prefers the stainless reels versus the Pattersons. And I find I have better luck with the stainless on smaller formats. I, have, I am zero for infinity on medium format and a stainless reel. I, I just can't get it to sit correctly. So I use the Patterson, the plastic ratcheting ones for everything else. But um, when I do 110 or 16 millimeter, I have a stainless reel for that. I, I don't have a problem with that. So I don't know why I do better with the, the smaller formats, but I tend to prefer Pat- Pattersons.
10: I was just going to say one other thing. Uh, when we had Dan Tamarkin on, I had asked about um, the film canisters, So I just thought I'd give a little update. So he oh, yeah. sent me uh, one of the Nikon canisters. And for what it's worth, that will not work in um, the, um, the Barnack style. Like because will. of the location of where the film gate opens is different uh, oh, okay. than the location. So when, when you slide it in, it only slides in one direction and this opening that where the film comes out is is appear at least i don't know I, it feels like it would it's on the it points the wrong direction it doesn't maybe it could work but it doesn't feel quite right i, don't if know. I have one i did acquire one of the ones that i think is for an m um it'll also work on a Barnak and it does fit in in the the opening points what appears to be a better direction i have i'm getting getting ready to buy uh some bulk film and start loading and developing but
0: well you know look at the right side now that you have a nikon metal cassette that means you, you need to go get a nikon rangefinder <laughs> pick up an s2 you won't regret it <laughs> wait we're not supposed to talk about nikon why let's quit bringing it up
1: <laughs> i'm kidding hey one of the things uh, when we were talking about underloved cameras this is mine the last <laughs> good leica SLR. yeah the sl2 which, as Fantastic. opposed to the, the SL2, was weird because it used two batteries. It used one battery for the meter, and it used a second battery that has a little button on the prism that you push the button and it lights up a light inside the finder, so you can see the meter in uh, in dark areas. This one actually, the meter actually works in it.
0: Multiple batteries. You know, I understand why they had to do it, but uh, what is it? The Pentax ES ES2 has four batteries. You four have to batteries. put in. Well, this one bottom. has
1: two batteries, but they're in different places. Different places. Okay. The battery for the meter is in the base. The battery for the for uh, for the for the light is on the side in the front. Oh, okay.
8: And the batteries for the uh, Pentax ES I just saw in this week, I'm good luck in finding that. You don't know where it is. It is the best right. hidden thing. Yep. It's right under the lens
1: mount. Yeah. Uh, and they also come open uh, at very, very inopportune times and yeah. dump your batteries out on the ground.
0: It is amazing throughout the history of cameras how many placed cameras had batteries and less than ideal. We've talked about the, the Nikon ELs. Uh, the Raleigh 35s have it in the film compartment. So battery dies while you have film in the camera. You're done. Guess what? Albas is due to, Of As course. As does the Canon dial. The can- yeah, that's right. The Canon dial is the same way. It's in the film compartment. I forgot about that. That's a good one. But won't that? That'll still work without the battery though, right? Just the meter? Right, yeah. So at least you could still shoot that because it's yeah the it's clockwork spring motor right but at least that'll still work i like the uh the original leica that put it right smack center in the middle of the it's like on the forehead of the camera yeah but it's not in the middle it's off well, to it's the off. side and you it's hate like- that i know right <laughs> what's the what's the what's the nikon that you absolutely refuse to look at because it's not symmetrical fa the fa the fa yeah, yeah that's right and the minolta xd11 <laughs> So we know Ira does not like uh, asymmetrical or non-symmetrical cameras.
7: <laughs> so you wouldn't like this one either. You mean because the lens isn't in the center? Well, the lens isn't not in the center in any of them. Yeah, I that's don't know true. Of any cameras.
9: But but the pentaprism is not symmetrical on almost all the Nikon professional series. Like they're all we- the photomic heads are all weird shapes and whatnot.
8: And I don't have them.
9: Okay.
5: <laughs>
9: <laughs> well,
5: you've <Except> got integrity.
9: <laughs> No, the F,
8: I have the uh, F3 as the meter. Yeah. But that's like not as bad.
0: I want to go back to earlier I mentioned, you know, some of you guys have, have been able to meet in person and see your collection. So I got to visit Paul and I wanted to play just a real quick couple of myth-busting things. You know, Paul has, is, is, you know, talked many times. We all know him through his eBay store. You know, Paul's not a collector. You know, he he talks about how he can get all these cameras from estate sales and he has no problem letting them go. You know, he's not a collector. He's just a seller. Well, you know, when I walked into his house into his living room, the, the literally the very first cabinet I saw was his private collection of cameras. So to say that Paul is not a collector is not true. Uh, <laughs> he, he definitely doesn't have a problem letting things go, but uh, Paul does have a, a favorite cabinet of cameras there. And Paul let me play with um, the Contaflex 35 millimeter TLR and the Xacta 6x6. He talked about picking up at the Columbus show recently
8: vertical or horizontal
0: vertical gotta specify uh, I got to see your white skin Nikon F in there there was an Argus in there so I was pretty happy to see that and you know he had some stories of of the different cameras that he had there and why he kept them uh, no it was it was super cool to be there and see the behind the scenes we walked down the stairs there's two big like plastic shelves of cameras he goes those are the eBay cameras that have set for have been up for sale for a while you know, this the slow moving inventory.
1: Those are three-year-old, uh, yeah. they've been on eBay for three years now. <clears throat> Their next stop will be Goodwill. So I,
0: I was able to plumage, uh, this little, we talked about Konica earlier. This is a Konica L. Um, I've seen one of these before, but never in person. It's a pretty basic camera, just the leaf shutter, fully automatic, you know, it's auto exposure, um, this one, I can get the shutter to fire, but I haven't played with it quite enough to determine if it's how, if I could even use it, but it's got a front shutter release, which you don't typically see from this brand. The body is all metal, but it's gray and chrome. It was pretty neat. You know, I like it. It, the film compartment opens from top to bottom, you know, so it, you know, kind of weird, like, you know, Kanika made a lot of cameras, but why this one was so different than, um, others, but, um. No, you know, and you, you showed me that bestseller enlarge you had in your room there. He's got a huge sink, he, what you sold it to somebody and then they, they gave it back to you years later.
1: No, I was a, it was a, a, a studio that uh, was one of my customers and they were moving so they didn't need their dark room anymore. So uh, I got uh, a, an eight foot RK stainless steel sink, an RK film drying cabinet and a bunch of uh, dry mount press and a bunch of stuff on the day that I was moving into this house. So I, I had like a, a, the ability to put a full darkroom in without any uh, without any problem. But the, the cool thing happened while you were here, Mike, you remember I got a telephone call from one of my yeah. old customers, but I mean old. I retired 12 years ago and he was in his seventies then. So he calls and he, he has a Nikon D80 that uh, he couldn't get it to go off of the auto ISO setting. So he says, well, come over. I said, I'll come over and fix your camera. He said, okay, well, I'll give you a couple of cameras. So I go over and he gives me this. Uh, he wants to give me this crown graphic with top mount of rangefinder and also a two by three crown graphic and a Nikon 8008 and some lenses. Of course, I'm not going to take them from him because I, I just can't do that to him. I realized when I got home, I've sold that camera twice and bought it three times, the same camera. Uh, because uh, when I buy those cameras, I take off all the crap. I take off the flash bracket. I took off the handle. I took off anything that's extraneous to me using it as a field camera. I take it off. So, and so then I realized that was my, that was the camera that I've owned three times before three times. Wow. Yeah. So this time I think I'm going to keep it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I was at his house for almost exactly three hours and in that three hour window, he's still wheeling and dealing on the phone, you know? So, Uh, any, anybody who might wonder like how often people just call him, it, it happens what what 24 seven, do you ever get calls in the middle of the night? (laughs) Uh,
1: I get them. I have have messages in the mornings when I get up sometimes. It was,
0: it was really great to be there. I I really appreciate it. it. It was a fun time. Yeah, it really was. But we're, we're coming up on uh, an hour and 50 minutes. Actually, we had a lot of participation this episode. It's really great to see returning faces and some new faces too. Um, we lost we lost Joseph earlier. Tony, you didn't really get much of a chance to talk Do you. Is there a brand or cameras or question you want to ask us?
5: I, it was good to listen. Um, yeah, a couple of them that I don't think have gotten a lot of love on the Camerosity podcast. This one is kind of interesting. You guys can't see that. It's a Mamiya C-Core 1000. And it's just weird the way the um, meter works. When you wind it, the meter, you actually have to actuate and it's spring loaded. And then when you're done, it's got the button on the top. But you guys uh, rarely talk about the cows. Does nobody like these? I've had some good luck with them.
1: What? What is it? A six? Tell us six. Co-
5: yeah.
1: Oh no! Those are great cameras. Those are great cameras. The six and the sixty-sixes both were excellent. As long as you don't use the crank to wind the film.
5: Right. <laughs> I, I, and I've I've bought three and two of them work. So, and one was a whole crank issue. But uh, no, it was really fun. I'm, I'm probably going to come back and join you guys next time.
1: Thanks. Yeah, good. Those are those are very cool cameras. You just don't see them as much anymore. No, you don't. Uh, They're really good lenses. In 1968,
8: I lusted after one of those things, like nobody's business. So when I started my present collection,
0: that was the third camera I got.
1: Cool. Cool.
0: My experience with that brand is only on their 35 millimeter cameras. And I like them. You know, the Coaflex SLRs are, are actually quite nice. I've gotten excellent results from them. Their lenses are really, really good. They were, I think they made their own glass. And uh, I, I had excellent results from them.
1: I think
8: Graflex used uh, their camera as a, a rebrand also, the Calo. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they, they actually made, uh, Kawa made the graphic cameras that were made in Japan were made by Kawa, I think, weren't they? Yeah. I don't know. Did they, I don't, I'm not sure they made the Jet, but the uh, the ones that were they made did. in Japan were Do You remember the or the graphic Jet?
0: From what I remember, I reviewed that camera, I think...
1: the co2 had a co2 cylinder that's right yeah Yeah. co2 for the film advance right
0: yeah the the jet was made by kawa they built the camera but gray flex did make the co2 system in addition to it just being a bizarre idea that was part of the problem of the camera's failure is that the two systems were not designed to work well together and they had major problems with o-rings you would put those cassettes in and they would fail almost immediately um, so they it, it just quickly wasn't selling they took all unsold inventory and I call them neutered it, they neutered the co2 system out of it um, and then resold it as just a just manual you know film advance camera but they're pretty neat just weird
8: yeah but if you had a leak in the co2 system at least you could make seltzer
0: well and thankfully they designed it to where even the co2 powered ones had a backup film advance so Like they weren't completely dependent on the CO2, but um, if you had one that worked, supposedly it could fire like two and a half frames per second. But I've never seen or heard one that still works because for obvious reasons. So Ira, you said you had some cameras that you wanted to donate um, and we were talking about. Yes, I have a whole bunch of them
8: actually now. People just keep giving me cameras and (laughs) I don't know what to do with them.
0: Well we had Cindy Anthony, your friend who did the community dark room. She's she's in Europe right now, I believe or the Middle East, I think. Right. She's in the Palestine. Maybe we could put Ira
2: in touch with her and, and help, you know, supply them. Yeah, that'd be good. we've started a community darkroom project down here called Analog Gainesville. We've we've got a we've built out a dark room and we're teaching classes every weekend on introducing people to film cameras. And uh, there, there are classes on, you know developing and, and printing, but also just basic camera operations. So we're always looking for just basic working cameras that we can use to help train people with. Have any of you guys planned your imminent demise about what's gonna to happen to your cameras? Lamps, they're all gonna be made into lamps.
3: I, I want a tomb, you know, and buried with them and yeah, with, with someone like, buried in there to look after them. Like the Pharaoh, help. right? Yes. <laughs> My
1: wife knows to call Igor. Igor, yeah, <laughs> Igor, Igor Resnick. Yeah. Igor and I are, are long time. I've known uh, Igor for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Igor and I are, are long time buddies. Well, yeah. see before Rod passed away, Rod was my guy. Was he? Yeah. Rod was my guy. He was, if anything happened to me, she would call him and now he's yeah. gone. So Igor is my, uh, yeah. War is my
0: guy. Well, Robert, you're closest to me, so you know if yeah. I if I explicitly disapp- Well, I, I'm a lot older than you, so you're gonna you're gonna have the job. I won't. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll just both be in each other's will. My right. wife will just be like Robert, get oh, your ass over here. and get me, stuff out of
6: the believe house. Me, my, my wife will call you because she doesn't know anything
7: about my country at all. Period. I think the best thing would be to call Paul. <laughs> yeah,
3: better call Paul. Let me let me get this right. If if the bunch of people on this call right now all got onto a boat and got stranded and lost forever on a deserted island like we, we did last week <laughs> does that mean the price of all these cameras will start to tumble because there suddenly will be a hell of a lot available on the market yeah. <laughs> a glut. if
0: this group of people's collections all hit ebay at the same time <laughs> there would be some people be losing their minds we'll just It'll be 2019 right. again oh yeah. god yeah. Well, we've talked about robberies, Anthony getting beaten so bad he's making people pass out in court, and now we're all going to die. So <laughs> I think that's a good spot to end this show. Yes. Um, as always, week after week, we have no idea what we're going to talk about. We had this vague idea of discussing uh, unloved cameras, which we kind of talked about, but we've had some great participation. It's been wonderful uh, talking to every one of you, Ira, as always. It's it's just the massive amount of stuff you have. We could do 100 episodes and still not get into there uh mark you have an awesome collection too mark's wife recently was appointed by joseph biden to be uh general counsel for the EEOC. is that correct
10: yeah she's nominated for it yes
0: nominated for it so that's awesome congratulations to her i met mark's wife when i was there too super super awesome lady uh, you would never have any idea that she's this amazing judge when you're sitting around the living room just talking about baseball with her. You know, I don't know all you guys quite as well, but you know, as always, it's great to see some new faces. Tony, nice to meet you. Uh, we don't have anything planned yet for next week, but we have a whole bunch of ideas that are kind of on the verge of something uh we're still trying to do the camera store episode uh we have a special guest we're really trying to get together which i I guarantee it will be interesting i have a few ideas of people i'd like to get on too so uh we may end up with back to back to back back special guests we may go back to just this open source format again who knows but uh as always thank you guys for coming okay uh we'll be recording again two weeks from today same bat time same bat channel so you guys all have a great night Okay. good night take care care bye I
8: execute judgment on you, COVID. I execute judgment on you Satan you destroyer you kill her you get out you break your power you get off this nation I demand judgment on you I demand I demand I demand a vaccination to come immediately yes I call you done